Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul told David that day, and Saul took David that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. As a result, Saul set him over the army. And all the people, even the servants of Saul, approved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. In this 18th chapter of 1 Samuel, we discover that David is deeply and widely loved. In verse 20, we find out that Saul's daughter Michael loves David, and that is repeated in verse 28. In verse 22, we see that all the servants loved David. In verse 16, we read that all the people loved David, the people of Judah and Israel. David is deeply and widely loved. And it's not too difficult to understand why. Not only had he killed Goliath, but in military campaign after military campaign, he led his people to victory over their enemies, the Philistines. Even as our nation embraced the great generals of World War II, Eisenhower, Patton, MacArthur, Bradley, David captures the imagination of the people as he repeatedly routes the enemy and protects his people from harm. I understand all this, and, and I know that so many, many people love David. What, what I don't understand is that Jonathan also loves David. It just doesn't make sense to me, but twice, twice in this morning's text, we read that Jonathan, the Saul of the king, loves David. Loved him as his own soul. Recent scholarship suggests that love in this context goes beyond personal affection and emotional attachment to social commitment and political loyalty. The text says that they are bound together, David and Jonathan. And Jonathan Jonathan is the son of the king, and he would have been a contender for the throne upon Saul's death. And yet, Jonathan loves David, and Jonathan has bound his soul to David's soul? Uh, this, this is a love that, as we see in the text, carries great vulnerability and tremendous risk. Uh, for keep in mind that Jonathan himself is a highly respected leader. He, too, has led his people to victory against the Philistines. He, too, is popular. But note, note what Jonathan does in this text. 
Jonathan removes his robe and gives it to David. He removes his armor and gives it to David. He removes his sword and gives it to David. Now, Jonathan is not a weak man, he, and he acts not out of fear, but out of a deep sense of who he is, and out of a deep commitment to David. In love, Jonathan surrenders his status. In love, Jonathan binds his allegiance not to his father, but to David. And in love, Jonathan lays aside any claim to the throne. I sometimes wonder if Paul kept Jonathan in mind when he was writing some of his letters to the churches that we discover in the New Testament. In the letter of Philippians, for example, we read that Jesus emptied himself, that is, Jesus divested himself of all royal power and divine privilege. I wonder if David thought of Jonathan when he wrote those words. Jesus has laid aside his claim to the throne, even as Jonathan laid aside his claim to the throne. And, and there's that other verse that the Apostle Paul has shared with us. In that wonderful chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love. And Paul says that love does not insist on its own way. And that sounds like Jonathan to me. And Jonathan is not insisting on his own way. He is not conspiring to be king. He does not view David's popularity and charisma and success with envy. No, 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 no. We know that Jesus is the son of David, meaning that he is the descendant in David's line. But in today's text, I suggest to you that we actually get a glimpse of Jesus. Jonathan is a faithful friend who lays aside royal privilege, and Jonathan is deeply and utterly devoted to David. Jonathan loves David, the kind of love that we in the church affirm and celebrate every Lent. The kind of love that moves beyond emotion and transitory feelings to deep, deep commitment. On Ash Wednesday, this week, we enter the Lytton season. And on Ash Wednesday, we will once again receive the sign of the cross on our foreheads. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. We say we are dust, and this means that we are mortal and flawed creatures who live in a world scarred by violence, greed, and deceit. And so, a couple of weeks ago when I walked outside my apartment up on Fifth Avenue, and I saw a man sleeping in a doorway, I think dust. We live in a flawed and broken world. We are dust, and to dust we shall return. When I read about the escalation of violence in our city, I think dust. We live in a flawed and broken world. And did you know that from 2020 to 2021, that carjackings increased in our city by 55%, 
and that from 2018 until today, carjackings in New York have escalated by 355%. And when I hear about crime, when I read statistics like this, I think dust. We are dust, and to dust we shall return. And of course, this week, as we all know, in the most ominous and horrific display of military aggression in Europe since World War II, Russia invaded the Ukraine. As of today, more than 150,000 people have become refugees as they flee to the West. Homes and businesses are being destroyed and an unknown number of people are being killed. And when I read and hear about the savage destruction, this barbaric aggression, I think dust. We are dust, and to dust we shall return. I am glad that Ash Wednesday is upon us. I know that today is Transfiguration Sunday, and I had planned to address the Transfiguration today, but in the light of events of the past week, I, I, I just can't slow down for the Transfiguration. I need to move straight on over to Ash Wednesday. For the ashes remind us that we live in a fallen world and the evil and the pain we witness cannot be hidden or denied or easily explained away. Ash Wednesday is an affront to any attempt to gaslight the reality of human misery, whether it's homelessness or street crime or naked military aggression. I'm ready for Ash Wednesday. Are you ready for Ash Wednesday? And this frank acknowledgement that we live in a broken world, I am ready for Ash Wednesday. But Ash Wednesday does not simply hold up a mirror to our mortality. These ashes point us yet again to the faithfulness of our God. The Jesus who loves us with a passion that Jonathan had for David. For as trite and as simplistic as it sounds, and I understand this sounds trite and simplistic, Lent calls us to remember that Jesus is indeed our friend. The kind of friendship we witness in Jonathan's love for David. The one who has bound his soul to our soul. The one who tenaciously claims, claims us and is faithful to us even when we join with the other disciples and fleeing into the safety of the darkness of the night. Several years ago, I was battling a few health challenges. Uh, nothing terribly serious, but they were a few in number, and I was getting worn down and fed up. One Friday morning, my friend Tom called. Hey, Patrick. Oh, hey, Tom. Um, Patrick, do you have time to hang out together today? I said, sure, Tom, that sounds great. But then I thought, wait, Tom, you work on Fridays. What? That's okay, I'm taking the day off. Wait, but, 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 but Tom, you live an hour away. How about we meet halfway in the middle for lunch? Would you like to do that? No, 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 Patrick, I'll, I'll come to you. I'm leaving now, I'll be there in an hour. And an hour later, Tom pulled up into our driveway and we went down to my man cave and we watched television and we talked about movies and we debated science fiction stories. 
and we talked about summer vacations that we had shared together, and we just hung out together all afternoon. As inconvenient as it was for him, he blessed me with the remarkable gift of friendship. He didn't ask anything of me. He simply came to me when I was actually in need of someone simply to be with me. That's the kind of friendship we witness in David's and Jonathan's relationship. In the story of David and Jonathan, in the bonding of their lives together, in the tenacity of their love, we witness the power of friendship. The writer Eugene Peterson has written that friendship has fallen on hard times in these days, and I suspect that is true. After two years of isolation, I can tell in my conversations with you that many of us long for community. Many of us long for the kind of friendship that we can enjoy in one another's presence and not simply over a screen. Do you think the people of Ukraine today need a friend? Do you think the homeless in our city need a friend? Do you think the victims of crime in our city need a friend? The kind of friend we see in Jonathan, the kind of friend we experience in Christ, I think so. I think so. So maybe you can understand now why I want to just get to Ash Wednesday and be reminded once again, not only of the reality of the brokenness of humanity, but of the faithfulness of our God. When I was first starting out in ministry, I served two small Presbyterian churches that were connected by a red clay dirt road. And I zipped back and forth on that red clay dirt road and tore up my Nissan Sentra. But I had a ball going back and forth. And not only did I go back and forth between these two churches, the first two years after I was ordained, I also served at a geriatric psychiatric facility as a chaplain. So once or twice a week, I would drive over the red clay dirt road, but instead of going straight to the church, I would turn right to go to the city where the facility was kept. Twice a week, I went for about two years, and I got to know the residents and appreciate some of the challenges that they faced. And I, I marveled. I marveled over the care of the CNAs. Are you familiar with the work of CNAs? Uh, certified Nursing Assistants. They provided the community and the structure and the care that the residents needed in this geriatric, psychiatric nursing home. Uh, they were the ones who bathed the residents every night and brushed their teeth. They are the ones who fed them with a fork their meals, you know, those who were not able to feed themselves. Many of the residents could not control their bowels or their bladders, and so it was the CNAs who took care of their most personal of needs. This, being a CNA is not an enjoyable job. Their paychecks are pitifully small and meager. One afternoon, I was talking with Judy. Judy was a CNA. I asked if she enjoyed working at the nursing home, and she said, well, it's very demanding and it's not pleasant, 
But they are people, and they need someone to take care of them. I said, I am moved by your love and your concern for those who live here. And then Judy said, I believe in God, and I believe that God loves me. I love God and do my best to love my neighbor. What more can I say? Judy works as a CNA, but she lives and loves and serves as a friend of Jesus. And so as we gather today, I am wondering, how might we be a friend to one another in our congregation? How might we be a friend to the people of our city? And how might we be a friend to those in need, our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine? And I do not pretend to have an answer for you, but I do invite you during this Lenten season to ask the question, what does it mean for me to be a friend to one another? The kind of friend we see in Jonathan, the kind of friend we see in Jesus. What does it mean to be that kind of friend? And so on Wednesday, we will once again gather here and receive the sign of the cross with ashes. And whether you join us at 8 a.m. on the steps or at noon on the steps or at 7 p.m. and here, I, I hope that you will come. I hope that you will come and receive the ashes. For these ashes are the mark of the friendship of Christ. Amen.